Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. We're in the penultimate week of our series on the Kingdom of God, which was the main focus of Jesus' whole life, teaching, ministry, death and resurrection. Essentially, it's this idea that God's rule and reign is breaking into this world to put things right again, and it has implications for every area of our lives. And today, I want to consider what does the kingdom mean for our relationships? And I'm primarily thinking our relationships within the community of faith known as the church. Now, if you read the New Testament, I think it's quite clear that the authors didn't think of the church as being something that you attend, either a building or an event, uh, which I think is great news for us, given that we don't own any buildings. And even if we did, we wouldn't be allowed to run events in them right now anyway. But no, according to the New Testament, the church isn't something you go to, something you attend. Rather, it's something you are. The church is a collection of people gathered together around their worship of Jesus. That's why we often talk at Christchurch about the importance of community in church life, because we want to stress it's about people. It's about people in relationship together and in relationship with God. Community matters. But I would put it to you that the word community is actually not quite strong enough to describe what it is that Jesus has come to establish in his church. The reason being that you can have community in a whole load of areas of life, many of which are absolutely great. You can have community with people who are just living close to you, your neighbours, or people with whom you share a particular passion, like a park run group or something like that. And that's brilliant. And that can be life giving. And I want to experience that both in and outside of the church. But the problem with community like that is that as soon as your circumstances change or your passion for the hobby that first brought you together starts to wane, then the community itself dissipates. And whilst that kind of community can be great while it lasts, actually, I think Jesus calls us to something deeper than that. Not mere community, but family. The language of family comes right through the New Testament in describing the church. Actually, the Greek word adelphos, meaning brother, it turns up about 342 times in the New Testament. And while sometimes it does refer to blood relatives, brothers and sisters, more often it refers to the relationships that people experience within their church, connection with people who aren't even part of the same biological family. And I should point out that actually, although it means brother, when it's used in its plural sense, it can mean brothers or sisters. It's not gender specific. So perhaps sibling is a better word. The church is described as a gathering of siblings, a family. And very often the New Testament talks about coming into the Christian faith as being like being born again into a new family, adopted into a new family. When we think of the church, I think the primary metaphor that comes to mind should be that we are family. There's this story in Mark chapter 3 where Jesus is addressing a large crowd and his mother and his brothers come to find him. I think we're meant to assume in this point of the story that Joseph, his father, has passed away. And so this is his blood family coming to find him, actually because they're worried about him. They think he has lost his mind and they they come to check that he's okay. And we read this. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. 
Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This response from Jesus is hugely challenging. It's challenging to us. It would have been way more challenging to his original hearers, especially his family. You see, in Jesus' day, your primary commitment, the relationship that trumped all others, was to your family, your immediate blood family. Dr. Sandra Richter puts it like this. The family was literally the axis of the community. And she said that society at this time was patriarchal, patrilineal and patrilocal. That is, it was all built around the patriarch, the oldest male figure in your family. And then it was patrilineal in the sense that your primary commitment would be to the patriarch and then to his bloodline. And it was patrilocal in the sense that your commitment to them meant that you would want to do life in locality around these people. So people would literally live almost in family enclosures so that the whole of their lives were interwoven with that of their brothers and their sisters and their mother and their father. Every decision you made would be expected to be for the benefit of that community, that family unit. So Sandra Richter says this. An individual would identify their place within society through the lens of their patriarch's household first, then their clan or lineage, then their tribe, and finally the nation. Now, there were all sorts of implications to this, some of them great and some of them quite challenging for us with our modern Western perceptions of society and family. But the main point is this. In Jesus' day, the primary relationship, the primary responsibility you had was to your family. And that relationship, that commitment trumped every other relational commitment you have. So I wonder if you can imagine the shock when Jesus' brothers and his mother turn up and Jesus looks around and he points at these strangers, these people with whom he has no blood connection. And he said, who are my mothers and brothers? These guys are. Because whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister or my mother. That is a hugely shocking response from Jesus. He is redefining how we think about the people of God and our relationships and our commitment to one another. Essentially, he is saying this, culturally, our primary allegiance is to our father and his bloodline. And the whole way we do life is built around that relationship. We live there together. Every decision we make is for the betterment of that family unit. Spiritually speaking, anyone who shares the same father is a brother or sister. Anyone who recognises God as their father is brought together into a family, which means that that very same commitment that we were expected to show to our blood family, we are now expected to show to one another. Whoever does the will of God is a brother or sister. If we share one father, we are family. Do you see his point? Now, of course, Jesus wasn't saying that, that, that biological ties were irrelevant or blood family was no longer important. He had plenty to say about that, and that's a subject for another day. But his point is this. We need to see ourselves as the community of faith who share one father. We need to see ourselves as family, not just a community that hangs out and enjoys life together for the season where it's relevant, but we are tied together at a deep blood level and we need to treat one another as family because that is what we are. Irrespective of our differences, differences of life stage or background or age or class or race or any other dividing factor, if we share one father, then you are my brother and sister 
and like it or not, I am yours. Now there's loads more I'd love to say about that passage and and some of the implications, but essentially I want us to stop and think about that idea and recognise what kind of response that creates in you. Because I imagine that for some of us, you hear that idea of church as family and it creates a positive response. You think, yeah, that's the kind of community I'd love to be part of. Or maybe, hopefully, you think that is already the kind of community that you're part of. But it could actually create a negative response in you, a painful one, perhaps because that might not have been your experience of church up to now, or actually because upon hearing the idea of church being family, it creates this reaction in you that you think, I'm not sure I'm up for that. That sounds like hard work. And you're right. Maybe you don't feel comfortable with that. Maybe you have a positive reaction, maybe a negative. Actually, maybe you have the two combined together. I want to tease that out a little bit in the time we have left today. And I want to look at the good news of church as family and the bad news. And actually, even the bad news is good news. It's just hard work. So, The good news of church's family is this. The church is designed by God to be his mechanism for meeting one of the deepest needs in our world right now. That is the need for relational connection in a safe, committed, trusting family. One of the things we've heard a lot about in recent years is the rising surge of loneliness in our nation and in the world. One recent study said that 45% of people in the UK feel lonely sometimes or often. 45%. Actually, that number rises to 55% in London. Hence, we were awarded the prestigious title of the loneliness capital of Europe, which you don't often see plastered on billboards or street signs. Loneliness is an epidemic. Actually, those stats predate COVID, and I am sure that that has increased exponentially during 2020. Loneliness affects our mental well-being, our emotional and spiritual health, and our physical health as well. It is said to be as bad for us as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And I think the devastating effects of loneliness are actually proof of our deepest need, a need for relational connection. We were designed to thrive in relationships, and when that need is not met, it is dehumanizing, it is diminishing, it leaves us feeling empty. I saw this photo the other day. Various people have been sharing it on social media. It's a statue in Geneva called Melancholy. And it depicts the feeling of emptiness that we experience through the grief of having lost a loved one and finding ourselves isolated and lonely as a result. It depicts this solitary figure sitting there on a bench with this gaping hole inside himself through which you can see other people just passing by, going about their day-to-day life as if nothing has changed. It's a powerful picture of loneliness. And the number of people who have responded to it and and recognised something of it and resonated with it, whether or not they've experienced bereavement, I think is telling. I think it tells us that we have a deep relational connection. And whenever we feel lonely, however that has come about, it leaves us feeling empty. Last summer, I read a book called The Lonely City by Olivia Lang, which tells the story of this this lady, this journalist, moving to New York in her 30s and finding that she didn't know anyone there. And it's a kind of beautiful but haunting exploration of the relationship between creativity and loneliness. And she writes this. You can be lonely anywhere, but there is a particular flavour to the loneliness that comes from living in a city surrounded by millions of people. One might think this state was antithetical to urban living, to the massed presence of other human beings, 
And yet, mere physical proximity is not enough to dispel a sense of internal isolation. It's possible, easy even, to feel desolate and unfrequented in oneself while living cheek by jowl with others. What does it feel like to be lonely? It feels like being hungry, like being hungry when everyone around you is readying for a feast. I find that quite a moving description of urban loneliness. Loneliness is crushing and it is dehumanising. It creates a deep hunger within us for relational connection, like a gaping hole, a longing that needs to be filled. And as the church, the good news is that we are God's mechanism for alleviating that hunger. But in order for us to be good news to an aching and hungry world, then the church needs to be more than just a mass of people. Because, as Olivia Lang said, mere proximity to others, simply being around a mass of other people, doesn't meet that deep relational connection. There actually has to be depth of connection, quality over quantity. It's the kind of connection you need to find in a properly functioning family. And that is how Jesus intends his church to be. I think it's no coincidence that one of the central symbols uh, of the church is a table at which we share a meal known as Holy Communion, where we eat bread and we drink wine, symbols that remind us of the very reason we're around that table, because of the body and blood of Jesus that has made it possible for us to be reconnected to our Father so that we can see one another as brothers and sisters. And we should not be content as Olivius Lang said, to, to feast on this meal whilst others are going hungry, starved of relational connection. Rather, the message of the church needs to be that there is room at this table, that there is plenty of the body and blood of Jesus to go around. And if you eat and drink of this, you can become part of the family. There is room here. Join us. As Maya Angelou wrote, the ache for home lives in all of us, the safe place where we can go as we are and not be questioned. I think the world is aching for home, for connection more than ever before. And the good news is, as Psalm 68 puts it, God sets the lonely in families. The church should be the good news that the world needs to hear right now. I say should be because I recognise that for many people that hasn't been the case. And if you're watching this today and your experience of church has not been of a positive, well-functioning, welcoming family, I am very sorry. And I'm especially sorry if that's not been your experience at our church. And if we can help you at all, we would love to talk with you and pray with you. Please do reach out. We have a prayer team or a pastoral support team. You can email them. We would love to help you. And it might be an awkward conversation, but actually that's one of the things that families do. We have honest conversations. We help one another in processing our pain. So if we can help, we would love to. But the good news should be this that the church is God's mechanism for meeting the relational needs of the world. We are family. The bad news, however, is that this is hard work. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come automatically. Although I guess in one sense it kind of does. Because Jesus, when he looks at this crowd, he says, whoever does the will of my father is my brother or my sister or my mother. He doesn't say they could be. It's if you relate to God as father, you are already part of the family. We are siblings. The challenge and the hard work is in actually living like the family that he has made us to be. 
And I want to suggest just four ways that I think we could grow as being a family at Christchurch London. They're four things that we're already doing. I'd love to see us just cultivate them more. And of course, there are plenty of other things I could have said, but given the time limitations we have today, here are just four. The first is this, families eat together. Families share meals together. And that can be a brilliant way of practically just meeting that deep hunger that we have for relational connection. When was the last time you shared a meal with another member of the church family? And in particular, someone who wouldn't naturally be part of your your normal friendship group. When was the last time you had a meal with someone who came from a very different background to you, but is a brother or a sister in Christ? Now, I appreciate that during lockdown, that has been very hard to do. Uh, And actually, it's one of the things I've grieved most is not being able to practice hospitality and have people around my table. I love to cook. I love to eat with people. And I've really missed that. But broaden it out for a moment. When was the last time you had coffee with someone walking in a park or you had a Zoom beer or, or whatever it happens to be? When was the last time you invited someone to whatever extent you've been able to into your family life? And in particular, someone who comes from a different background to you, who wouldn't just naturally be a, a friend, but someone who you've been intentional about welcoming and spending time with as family. In the last 18 months or so, there have probably been about maybe half a dozen times, where my family has experienced the hospitality of someone at a very different life stage to us, where uh, young married couples without children or even single people living by themselves have invited me and my wife and my four-year-old daughter into their home for a meal. And those have been such precious times. What I've particularly loved has been the fact that my daughter has not been treated like an add-on, like just sort of a necessary element to get me and Helen into this person's house. Rather, people have gone out of their way to make her feel welcome, to speak to her, to include her in things, to have stories for her to read, to read stories to her. And that can be quite a daunting thing. If you're not used to having children in your home, you don't have children of your own, it can be quite an unusual thing to cater for a family. But we have so appreciated people doing that for us. In fact, now, whenever we see one of these people on a church Zoom, my daughter will just point at them excitedly and and she remembers them. She'll sometimes ask to pray for them or she's asking how these people are doing. I think that is beautiful because she sees a different aspect of the family from what she sees here in our family unit. She gets to see people at different life stages to that of her parents. And she sees some strong single female role models as well, which I think is beautiful and brilliant. When was the last time you ate with people from a different life stage to you? Married couples, when was the last time you invited a single person into your home, into your family life? And not just with the goal of matchmaking them or because you think they might be helpful with babysitting, but in order to just celebrate your familiness, the fact that each of you has a contribution to make within this family of God. We've got to be proactive about this. It doesn't come naturally. It's the easiest thing in the world to hang out with people who are very like us, who look like us, who have the same hobbies or passions as us. We need to be proactive about hanging out with others who are very different, but who share the same father. It's one of the key ways we demonstrate that we truly are family. So families eat together. Secondly, families talk honestly. If your family is anything like mine, probably you have some quite honest and sometimes quite heated conversations. They're not always easy. But honesty in conversation is a key part of family life. 
and it needs to be part of our life together as a church as well. When was the last time you initiated a conversation with a fellow brother or sister within the church that felt like a risk? When was the last time you chose to address something that would have been way easier just to ignore and gloss over? When was the last time you made yourself vulnerable to someone else or you invited honest and open feedback from another person? Families rarely agree on everything, but they don't stop being family. And we as a church will not agree on everything, but we need to be a space where people can come with their different perspectives and talk them out and still go away loving one another and committed to one another. We need to be a space where we can have those painful and honest conversations and know that even when we differ, we are still united because we are not tied together simply by our shared opinions, but by our shared connection to our Father in heaven. Thirdly, families serve and provide for one another. One of the things I love about Christchurch is that this is a generous community. And I love the fact that so often I have got to witness or be part of or benefit from the generosity of others. I love it when I see someone spot a need in another member of the family and think I can do something practical about that. And sometimes that has resulted in giving financially to other people within the church or giving practical uh, objects, or sometimes it's support, sometimes it's acts of service. And those acts of service speak volumes about the love and the commitment to one another that we share. One of the things I often hear from people outside the church is amazement at how the church gathers round people in moments of pressure or need. A key example of this is the meal rotors that often get set up when someone has a new baby. And I often hear people outside the church go, it's amazing that when a family has a child, suddenly all these people who are completely different to them, maybe even geographically not that near them, suddenly just gather round and provide a fortnight's worth of meals to get them through this tricky new season. That simple act of service speaks volumes about the love that we have for one another. Let's cultivate that kind of serving, generous spirit. And maybe not just when people have babies, but when people are going through other pressures, maybe work pressures or um, exam time or particularly difficult seasons. Let's be quick to spot the need and meet the need. That's what families do. Fourthly and finally, families celebrate together and mourn together. One of the things I love about this church is those moments where I spot people just honour and celebrate one another at key moments in their lives. I might be scrolling through Instagram and suddenly I'll discover that it's someone's birthday because there's just this outpouring of pictures and memories and things that celebrate this individual and what an amazing person they are. Families do that, not just at birthdays, but at, at great achievements, exam results, job changes, weddings, new births, whatever it happens to be. And I love being part of a community that celebrates one another. That's what families do. But we also need to be a family that doesn't only walk through the good times together, but also the difficult times. A few years ago, a friend of mine left Christchurch and... Um, she had become bereaved and so she'd spent a few weeks with her family, rightly just processing that and had become a little disconnected from church. And then that just continued over time to the point where she decided to leave entirely. And when I met up with her and talked about the decision, uh, she said that one of the things that had caused her to make that final decision was that there was this realisation in her moment of bereavement. She had people to turn to, but they weren't naturally people within the church. And it wasn't that anyone in the church had done anything bad or neglected, people had reached out to her. It was a realisation about herself that she realised, what have I actually been building if the people that I naturally turn to are not part of this 
church community that I call family, what have I actually been doing? What have I actually been building with these people? I found that quite a sobering idea because I don't want to be part of a community that only stands together in the good times. I want to be part of a community where I can celebrate together and mourn together, where I know there are people I can call on in my moment of need. And I know there are people who will call on me as well that we can be a comfort to one another, as Tim brilliantly explored in last week's sermon. I want to be that kind of community, that kind of family. The other week, I spent an evening on the phone with a friend whose family member was at the verge of death and actually passed away a couple of days later. And we spent an evening just talking together and crying together and praying together. And it was powerful and it was beautiful. And at the end of it, he just said, thank you so much for your time. And I honestly thought it's a privilege. It's a privilege to stand with you and weep with you and pray with you in this moment. And not just because I'm a pastor, but because we're brothers. Of course I want to do that. I would have felt disappointed if he hadn't felt he could call on me because we are family. And that's what family does. We eat together. We talk together honestly. We serve and provide one another. We stand together in the good times and the bad. Now, these are just four suggestions. There are plenty of other things I could have said, but we have an opportunity right now to build a church that meets one of the deepest needs in our city, in our world. We have an opportunity to build something that is not just a social club or a group of friends who are like-minded and enjoy hanging out. We have an opportunity to build the kind of family that Jesus has made us to be. But it's going to take choice. It's going to take hard work and investment. One of the things I've heard people say a lot over these past few months has been about how this season with the pandemic, the lockdowns, the new normal has caused us to reflect on what we want life to be like the other side. And so many people have talked about wanting to rethink how we do life so we don't just go back to the ways we have always done it. And I think that's really important. I think it could be great just to have a moment to reset our hopes, our dreams, our expectations, our whole way of doing life. But if I'm honest, my theory is that unless we ask those questions and we do that reflection in the right way, it could actually lead to a greater sense of individualism rather than deeper family and community. Because if each of us asks the question, what would be best for me or my immediate family unit, chances are we may actually disconnect from others because it is far easier to put your own needs above the needs of others. I want to encourage us as we reflect on what kind of church we want to be and build, we should ask questions in plural forms. As we look to the end of lockdown or to Christmas or to New Year or 2021 or or whatever lies beyond, whatever the new normal will be like, don't fall into the trap of asking, what do I want my life to be and how can I craft that? Rather, dream with others in your neighbourhoods, in your church community, in your connect groups, and ask the question, what do we want our lives to be so that we can live as an open table, saying there is space here for anyone to come and find that deep nourishment they need for their souls. I want us to increasingly be a church that is known for being family where people can come and experience love and welcome and restoration into relationship with their creator and with other brothers and sisters. One of my favourite verses in the New Testament is from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, Both the one who makes people holy, that's God, 
and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. It blows my mind that the King of Kings is not ashamed to call me his brother. He's not ashamed to call us his church, his siblings. But rather he has made us part of his family, knowing what I'm like, he welcomed me in. And I love the fact that I get to be part of that family with you. And so I would love us, just before we go back into worship, to close in prayer and pray that we would increasingly live as the family God has called us to be so that we can offer hope and relationship to a relationship-starved world. We'll pop the prayer on the screen. I wonder if you will pray it along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are your children, welcomed into your family. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are not ashamed of us, but are delighted to call us your brother and sister. Holy Spirit, would you create in us a deep love for one another, and help us to invest in the hard work of living as the family you have called us to be, laying down our lives for one another and showing a world that is hungry for relationship, that there is deep nourishment to be found in you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristChurchLondon.org.